Hello everyone, I'm Mark, the chief writer here at Maltopia, and I just wanted to remind you the sleep-wake cycle is but one of a series of interconnected horror podcasts within the wide and weird world of Maltopia. For Easter eggs, crossover events, and additional lore, please check out our other series, The Shepherd of Wolves, Red Mother, Grimland, and The Damnation Machine. And be sure to check out our free content on our Patreon page for additional lore and stories. For even more Maltopia content, consider becoming a patron. Starting for as little as $2 a month, benefits range from additional art, update videos, early episode access, our mini-podcast series, October's Children, both written and full audio pieces, such as The Lost Library, Tales of Maltopia, and The Weird Book. You can also gain access to our found footage show, The Weird Tape Series, and even our Patreon-exclusive, fully-produced audio series, Devil's Clay. So, with all that said, I will leave you to the darkness. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Rusty Quill presents. I don't think I'd ever felt so defenseless. Huddled together in the sleeper of the truck, there was nowhere for us to go. Nothing we could do. Everything felt weightless, as if the truck were tumbling through the void of space. Romy lit the cabin with only the slightest touch of blue light, providing hints of our surroundings. 
The cold emerged from the shadows, drawing our frozen breath out into the air. It almost seemed the cold and dark were one and the same, indivisible parts of the same primal force, a more complete expression of darkness, the normal brand just the tip of an alien iceberg. The behemoth eel was only occasionally in view, and it wasn't alone. Teams of the things probed the pitch, turning in all directions, coming together in great clutching knots and departing to quest in different directions. They emitted a low shrieking as they went along, liquid screams that drifted through the abyss and sank into your bones. And the footsteps that Romy heard from before, plodding upwards from an infinite depth, they were there as well, a colossal metronome counting down the seconds. It was as complete a vision as hell as you could want. I considered extending my power, pushing back the black just long enough to see if we were still in the world, steeping in the oldest gloom known to humanity, or if we'd been displaced to somewhere else where the darkness lived, the source of it all. I had no idea if the revolvers would work against any of them, but I was almost willing to try. Romy was still as stone, her face somewhat visible for the slight glow of her eyes. Her expression was almost zen, untouched by the horrors circling us. There was no question, she was from New Victoria, all right. She kept so still I almost flinched when she pointed to something out the small window, a small fissure of molten orange spreading across the murk. The eels reacted like the sun had gone nova, spasming beneath the whisper of day. In an instant, they were gone. The backdraft of their speedy exit seemed to pull away the sackcloth curtain laid across the world, sheets of curling gloom vanishing beyond the light. I waited for the sun to fully rise, filling my sails before I pulled the truck out of the lot. The driver snoozing in the corner had no idea what he'd missed. A few other vehicles cruised the main road that cut through Nighthead, heading out toward the interstate that ran north all the way to Hollowick. We ditched the truck on a dirt road just off the highway, and Romy made sure the driver would wake up none the wiser for what he'd been through. We hitched a ride into Hollowick, and I was quick to rent an apartment for us, sight unseen. If Nighthead put out feelers into nearby cities, they'd check hotels, motels, bed and breakfasts, not recently rented apartments. Next, I bought a truck. A two-door six-banger with an extended cab and four-wheel drive. An expensive ride nowadays. After we loaded the bed up with some basics from a local pawn shop, sleeping bags, chairs, a microwave, we stopped for coffee at a little outdoor cafe. Sloopies. It was hard to believe light-hearted things still existed in the world. How could a place like Sloopy's, with their iced vanilla latte lattes, exist side by side with titans of the night, forever plodding upward from the cellar of the universe? I didn't know if it was just a bit of levity while we all polished the chrome on the Titanic, or a sign that not all was lost if you kept your sense of humor. Either way, we were going to take the weekend to comb through the new leads before heading back into the belly of the beast. But right now, it was time for pretentious drinks and planning. So, if these clients, these ancient, I don't know, powers, are traveling to Maros to pledge their loyalty to the eel kit, what's it all add up to for us? 
With each bit of added insight, our place in all of this seemed smaller and smaller by the second, if not insignificant. Well, he's definitely shoring up power. But like you said on the way here, why is he staying in Marrow's, putting himself in the spotlight, especially when it's obvious he doesn't want the attention? If I had to guess, I'd say that's the chink in the kid's armor. However powerful this eel kid is, or eel king, he's somehow tied to that location. If we can peek at that card, our hand would be a whole hell of a lot stronger for it. They're all lying about how they found themselves after the darkness. They even burned down the museum to cover it up. I'll bet whatever's keeping the Eel King in Marrows has something to do with whatever they got up to during the darkness. No one in Marrows would talk to Team 27, so we're not likely to get the juice from any of them. Remember Cuddy? Just before the house fell on him? Yelling something about, uh, nothing could be recorded, or something like that. Yeah. They've all likely been sworn to secrecy. Under pain of death, no doubt. But maybe there is someone we could talk to. Remember the old man, Reynard, I think his name was? He said the Crickmires were still there, hermits for the most part. That they had some old mansion near the hills just outside of town. Maybe they'd be willing to let something slip. Well, definitely worth a shot. They've been there longer than anybody. If anybody knows something about the area, it'd be them. We'd considered entering Marrows from the forested side, rather than going through the cave and across the lake. But there was only the unfinished road that led a small way into miles and miles of densest forest. It would take us forever on foot to get there. If we were lucky, which was a long shot in itself, we could make Marrows in a day via the cave. The weekend passed quickly, maybe too quickly. But the limited time we had allowed us to find our rhythm with each other again, to get past the alleyway, though it was likely just the eye of the storm. There was no telling how much bad weather was to come between us. We were back in Nighthead after a short drive, the sun having only just sunk below the hills. People were coming out, stores were opening, the city was crawling out from beneath its rock. Our mission was simple enough. We just had to sneak through the crowds and down into Squint Lane, find the entrance to the cave, and off we'd go. We were pushing our luck for sure, but the situation didn't allow for a lot of nuances. The longer we waited, the more of these supplicant monstrosities the Eel King would collect on his side of the board. It was now or never. The streets of Nighthead were always something to behold, and that night the place was back to its normal, nocturnal self. No more lectures clogging the town with mobs of darkened crowds. The city planners had taken every opportunity to make the city look like it had been carved from a single block of purest night, and the fact was on display as we picked through the busy crowds, all of us dressed head to toe in black, eager to get on with the business of night. The streets were lined with black houses, their windows lit by candles and colored lanterns. Fashion boutiques boasted sable mannequins slathered in darkest leathers and linens, eateries bathed in the firelight from black stone hearths, and in the center of downtown Nighthead, massive statues and water sculptures backlit in softest tones of amber and azure. I could see Romy losing herself in it all, her eyes darting from one sight to the next. 
Nighthead might have been a terrible place, but it didn't lack for style. That was for sure. Squint Lane was aptly named, as the place seemed more like a narrow maze than a thoroughfare. Luckily, Romy knew the way, cruising through the place like she'd lived there. It was pretty well populated too, so we didn't have to be over careful about how we went along. My sister nodded at a long drive that wound around the corner into the shadows, the scene watched over by security cameras clinging to a tall streetlight. We just kept walking, as we already had a plan for getting past them. After we ducked into a long alleyway just down the street, Romy started things off. Even though I knew what came next, actually seeing it dropped my jaw. I thought back to when we were kids, chasing each other around our white room arms out, pretending to fly. After flying up to the warehouse rooftop, I secured the rope and dropped it down to Isaiah. He clambered up the side of the building and we crept like criminals through the night, the crescent moon grinning at our transgressions. I'd taken a cue from my brother, how he used his ability to detect the presence of the unnatural. While my trick wasn't necessarily the inversion of his, I was learning how to abrogate the normal order of things. It was like putting reality to sleep. So, when we reached a bank of soiled windows on the south side of the warehouse, I turned my eyes upon them, weakening their reality, I suppose you could say. This allowed Isaiah, who seemed immune to my ability as I was his, to jimmy a window without setting off alarms. We were on the other side of it in a New York minute. The inside of the place looked exactly as you'd expect a den of living shadows to look. A collage of wood rot, water damage, collapsed beams, and every other kind of structural decomposition that didn't necessarily impair the function of the place. A shelter for underground things. Isaiah engaged his own ability to make sure our movements weren't being eyeballed from the shadows. The corridors seemed to stretch on longer than they should have, and the shadows began to look more like yawning pits. I was surprised to find a bit of lighting here and there, but I supposed it made the place look occupied, warding off any casual intruders. We dropped down a few floors, past some of the worst code violations so far. Though to be fair, building codes were more often than not a luxury the Great Darkness had long removed. I could feel the cold of underground places whispering at my skin, calling up goose flesh. The path to the mouth was not what I expected. A good portion of the ground floor was carved from stone, ornate symbols that recalled the worst occult practices, rituals of flesh and blood and darkness outlined the stone. And while I wasn't specifically schooled in the arithmetic period, some of the rune work definitely appeared reminiscent of it, a semi-mythic time some scholars of the dark referred to as the first darkness, making the one in 99 only the second in a theoretical series of three. I wasn't fond of that particular theory, often called the Three Dooms. The mouth itself was carved to look like a gaping demonic maw, the face a chimera of what seemed a lamb, lion, serpent, and vulture. The post-Mithric stages of man's development following from the first darkness. What some thinkers believe occurred after the sinking of Antilus, or Atlantis to the uninitiated. Well, this isn't ominous. 
I just shrugged at my brother, the academic and me busy taking mental notes. Once I had all my observations tucked away for later research, we entered the cave. Isaiah took the lead, his field out in front of us. It was a good thing the cave walls were covered in ancient writing and statuary. Elsewise, my mind would have been a mess, flirting with some fantasy that busied itself flirting with delusion, and down the rabbit hole I'd go. I gasped when the cave expanded to encompass miles of underground, large clumps of some kind of phosphorescent fungi casting the scene a brooding, if not sickly, green. The vast open spaces were interspersed by all manner of statue and relief and column and archway, and I could tell that none of what I saw was post-noctum. All of it was ancient, barely post-mythric. If researchers and scientists wouldn't show for the black orchards, they'd certainly trip over themselves to get here. What the hell is all of this? I'm not entirely sure but I'd say it's almost as old as the stone it's carved from. Just as I spoke, a foul, stinking wind moved through the underground. But when nothing moved at its passage, not even a hair on my head, I realized it wasn't wind at all, but a tangible foulness. The entire cavern filled with the stuff, and so did my mind. Whatever the force consisted of, it clutched at my dreaming brain, painting the most horrible things with my thoughts. Nightmares. I saw the cavern in a whole new light, colored by the visions gathering in my head. The place was hellish, filled with organic-looking machinery that thumped and shuddered like living viscera. All of it seemed to supply power to various membranous containers, where hideous shapes splashed their congealing limbs against the skin of their bizarre incubators. Newly formed visions pushed the older ones aside, imposing a new set of horrors atop the cavern. This time I saw inhumanly tall figures, dressed in dusky armors and flaring cloaks, all of them wearing hideous masks. They were genuflecting, rows of them, to a statue carved from a material so dark it seemed to dim the light around it. A freestanding dead star made for the venerating. Still, more visions came, washing away the others. Now there was a darkness that surged through the cavern-like floodwater, the white squirming things within it growing fat and fierce until at last becoming mature abominations of pale flesh and endless rows of teeth. The vision became a sound, and the sound became a voice. Come, sit with me for a time. Allow the sweet fires of madness to free you from the sterile commotion of thoughts, dreams, and worlds rusted into their orbits. The laws of your universe are like starving cobwebs to me. Breathing, I scatter them. With me, you shall throw off your dusty soul and stretch out your shadow like raven wings. Fly with me on wicked winds 
and we will depart the pale fires of your creation and vanish into undimmed wonder forever. I felt a force reaching out to me, into me, hand-feeding the shadow that lived there. I tried for all I was worth to push it out of me, but it was my brother's pale eyes that seized it, wrenching it out of me. The cavern finally came back into focus, Isaiah standing just below me, his eyes filled with terror. His hands trembled and his ticks were making a mess of his face. I realized it was me he was afraid of. I was floating above the ground, my eyes hissing with foxfire, my power twisting the air around me into awful shapes. Jesus, Romy, are you okay? Say something. No, he wasn't afraid of me. He was afraid he would have to hurt me. I set myself back down on the ground. I'm okay. Uh, now. You just started screaming. Like when we were kids. And then you just went, uh, I don't know, crazy. Whatever got into you, it was almost too much for me. And I got the sense that it was barely trying. Even as my brother spoke, I could still hear the faintest whisper of the voice. Time is a fire that cannot burn me. I will wait for you, Rosemary. The Sleep-Wake Cycle is a Maltopia production. Today's episode was written by Mark Anzalone and performed by Kelly Bear and Mark Anzalone. The episode was edited by Walker Kornfeld. Sound production and editing was performed by Stephen Anzalone. And the Sleep-Wake Cycle theme song was written and performed by Sean Zeller. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Maltopia. That's M-A-E-L-T-O-P-I-A. And if you'd like to know more about the world of the Sleep-Wake Cycle and contribute to its nightmarish expansion, visit us at www.patreon.com forward slash Maltopia where you can gain access to all sorts of art, mythology, stories, and more. For more information about the sleep-wake cycle and the larger world of Maltopia, head over to maltopia.com.